Welcome to Lift Their Voices, a podcast series presented by Roots of American Music in partnership with Evergreen Podcasts. This podcast series seeks to celebrate important historical figures from marginalized communities and highlight local artists. Roots of American Music, also known as Rome, is a nonprofit established in 1999 based in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Rome integrates music and education in Northeast Ohio to create vibrant communities through art and vibrant art through community. More information on Rome and ways for you to support can be found at rootsofamericanmusic.org. I take the F train from Harlem to Queens Three days in the same hat and jeans Walk in a cafe and order some eggs Notice a stranger staring at my legs he says I'm unlike anyone he's known before. I'm equal parts love and war. So please welcome to the stage, Gretchen Plus. I'm not a <laughs> so through this Lift Their Voices series, musicians were also um, given historical figures in music that are important to American music. So my particular figure that I'm featuring tonight is Buffy St. Marie. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Buffy. Excellent. What I wanna do is just talk a little bit about what Buffy brings to the table and how she has impacted folk music in particular and also her communities, which is a huge part of her music. Buffy St. Marie was named Beverly when she was born. She was born in 1941 in Saskatchewan, Canada, on the Piapot Reservation. Unfortunately, her mother died in a car crash, and she was actually adopted by a couple in, um, and raised in Massachusetts and Maine. So that's how she ended up in America. But because of her indigenous heritage, she um, continued to put that into her music and into her life's work. Her mother was of Cree descent, which is where the Piapot Reserve, it's a Cree reservation as well. So she was always sort of pulled to music as a child. She started out on piano, but she moved to guitar in her teenage years. And it wasn't until the 60s that she um, decided to move to New York to sort of be a part of the Greenwich Village scene, you know, of Bob Dylan and other folk namesakes. So in 1963, actually, the New York Times, there was a critic that caught one of her sets and called her uh, one of the most promising new talents on the folk scene. And from that one review, she actually landed essentially a record deal to make her first album, which is called It's My Way. And on It's My Way, you, you can recognize some, some of her more uh, notable songs like Now That the Buffalo's Gone, which is a critical account of America's mistreatment and systemic erasure of Native peoples. So she, uh, she didn't really shy away from talking about things that affected you know, indigenous nations. And that ultimately, one of the sad parts about that is that she, because it became such a, an integral part of her music, she was blacklisted. Um, so she became very involved in movements such as the American Indian Movement, which is notably they, they occupied, they helped occupy Alcatraz when there was an occupation of Alcatraz, um, which went on for, I want to say, 60 days. It was, it was a long time. So they, they occupied essentially the prison cells in Alcatraz to bring uh, awareness to the fact that that was originally indigenous land. And so it was sort of the origin of the land back movement, which you might recognize now. Um, which 
was where indigenous people were basically bringing attention to the fact that treaties were broken and that they had ancestry in this land and they were they wanted to have that land back. So she was blacklisted not just for the American Indian Movement, but also because she was very much involved in anti-war protests. And that's also in her music. You might recognize Universal Soldier was a big song of hers, um, which uh, was on, I believe, her second album, Little Wheels Spin and Spin, which also had My Country, Tis of Thy People, You're Dying, which is one of my favorite songs of hers, personally. I think it's just a really brilliant lyrical song. And that one in particular is about, again, sort of whitewashed um, history. So it was around that time that things became, there was more awareness being brought to the fact that indigenous peoples had not just been assimilated, but actually originally, you know, there was genocide. So she, Buffy St. Marie did not shy away from speaking of that. Even in interviews, you know, she was sort of pushed back. She wasn't allowed to come on Johnny Carson until... uh, Sam Belafonte actually was interviewing her. So she wasn't given as much media exposure as she would have been had she not been talking about those things. And I also believe, and I think she would speak to this as well, that as an indigenous woman in particular, she um, sort of became, and she talks about this openly in a podcast I listened to um, by CBC, which she had some interviews with them talking about how as an indigenous woman, in particular, there is this sense that she had to be sort of docile and um, she could be pretty and talk about things that affected indigenous people, but not in a way that made anybody else uncomfortable. And because she refused to adhere to those standards and the society's expectations on that, she ended up really pushing a lot of people away. But she stuck with that and she still, uh, she did take a long hiatus, but she came back in 1992 with a record that included some really interesting synth sounds and she sort of bridged that gap between this synthy, poppy thing that was going on in the 80s and 90s and her more traditional finger style folk um, background. So yeah, I think one of the interesting things to me about Buffy is that she has never relented what is important to her. And I think that that is what makes her a really impactful person, but also a very impactful artist because it takes a lot of salt to sort of stick to what you believe in and to be passionate and stay with that. And that is something that I have personally felt very connected to her, especially in doing more research into her life and her life's work. Um, I knew her songs, you know, from growing up, my parents would occasionally play Buffy, but I hadn't heard a lot of her discography because, like I said, I don't think it was given as much attention by the media back in the day as it could have been. But she, I'm really impacted personally by the fact that she cares deeply about justice and about people and about her people, which for her, it's indigenous peoples. So I do want to take a moment, too, because we're talking about Buffy. This is something that I've been doing. One of the things that I relate to her on is, is, you know, her commitment to justice and to bringing attention to oppression. And so, like, in my work, I also work in nonprofit work as well, like Roots of American Music. I believe it's important to acknowledge Native peoples and the fact that we are on their land and that we did break treaties. And I say we collectively, as you understand, I'm talking about the fact that we, you know, this was originally land that was occupied and they were forced out. So I did want to actually do a land acknowledgement, if that's okay, if everybody's okay with that. 
So I did research the tribes that um, are from this area originally. And um, this is what a land acknowledgement looks like. I do this at work as well. So this is sort of, if you ever want to do this in um, your own settings, I think it's a really, a very bare minimum thing to do, I suppose, but it's very important because we at least acknowledge the fact that we're here. We acknowledge that we are gathering today on the lands of the Haudenosaunee peoples and the Ashnabek peoples, also commonly known as the Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Ottawa nations. Thank the sun, the hills are on fire. I know you're tired of letting go. Nothing's lost, nothing is gained Just wind in the plains A steady blow And love Swallows me like a river Spits me out And delivers Me back to you Hello, Gretchen. Hi, George. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask us to, to start off with um, Rome's mission statement. So if I can just get out some key words here. So Rome integrates music and education in Northeast Ohio to create vibrant communities through art and vibrant art through community. Could you say a little bit about how that mission state resonates with you? Maybe how art and community have worked together in your own life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say that for me, art begets community. Like it is part of, it's integral to community. Um, and I think that people tend to think that if they aren't artistic or aren't artists, that they can't be a part of art. But art is what brings um, humans together. I mean, I don't know if this, for me, I think about it in a sort of a scientific way. Before we can even speak, before we even talk, we have language, we know music, you know, babies know music. Music is, is really a part of the, a very human experience before us, I think tonality is. And in the same way, I think art is a reflection of our experience. So, you know, landscapes, those can, it can feel like a piece of art, even just at looking at it. So I think that art and community are naturally connected. And I think that for me, it's inspiring to be a part of community that embraces art as a part of that community, bringing community together. So I don't think that there's any one style of art that's particular to you know one group of people. I think that art is something that is uniquely human and it brings people together no matter what medium, no matter what type of music. It's something that everybody can enjoy. And I think that when we get back to the essence of art, that's what brings community together. One of the things that struck me about in learning about Buffy St. Marie early on, she had this great ear um, and she was sort of figuring out how to meet, do music on her own. And she sort of said that she was given permission by Winnie, her mother, to not do things, to not have to be approved of by her music teacher and to not do things. There were other valid ways of doing things outside of the formal Thing. So uh, could you talk a little bit about your own, how you came into the world of music and how it became a, a part of your life? Yeah, I, I relate to that too. I think uh, 
I was always drawn to music, even as a kid. We had a piano in, in my house, um, and I would sit there and play it. And at the time, you know, in my childhood, the time when I was really interested in music, um, in the piano in particular, it wasn't really possible for my family to get me lessons, nor did we really have the time. We were sort of in, dis, you know, in, in, these, in this weird situation where that wasn't a possibility. But I held on to that love of music, and I still wanted to be a part of it. And I would sing all the time in the car. One time my mom actually heard me singing along to Lady Marmalade, which was a real a real hit, um, <laughs> if you remember. And I was, I was singing along to that song, and she was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize you could sing. So when my aunt gave me a guitar um, that was previously used by my cousin, and he didn't really take it, you know, take up to it, she gave me this guitar, and I, I went back to my mom, and I said, I really want to play this, um, and I don't know how. And she found a friend of hers that was willing to give me lessons. And because we couldn't really afford it, he was he gave them to me for free. It was just a gift. And he thought, I think he thought, oh, she's going to lose interest in about two or three lessons. And I won't have to do this anymore to be nice. And instead, I like really um, fell in love with it. And he was teaching me fingerstyle uh, classical, trying to teach me by tab, seeing if I could sight read. I couldn't sight read. And I was really bad at reading tab but I didn't want him to know that, so I would pretend that I was reading the tab, but I was actually learning by ear. Um, so eventually, you know, the truth came out, but I've, I've learned by ear, and I, um, instead of letting that sort of hold me back um, with regard to getting better at the craft, I actually sort of honed in on that and didn't, I didn't distract myself too much with trying to relearn it a different way, if that makes sense. Even though it would make it easier if I could sight read, um, I, I decided to stay focused on how I wanted to do it, which was by ear, so that I could learn how to structure melody and to create really original melodies based on what I was hearing versus necessarily what I was reading. But if you saw me now, would you question what he's done? Would you understand why he's still the one? Ooh. If you saw me I guess I'll ask you now about the, the Northeast Ohio part of our yeah. mission statement. You know, I think the, you know, Cleveland isn't necessarily known as having a vibe like Greenwich Village or in some of those um, places that were formative for our featured historical figure. Although I will note that Buffy Samory talks about going to see the Alan Freed show in New York City when she was young yeah. and seeing Joanne Campbell and, and being like, wow, that's a, that's a cool thing to do. Um, so could you say a little bit about how music in Northeast Ohio are part of your life? Yeah, I think um, that's what's funny is actually Northeast Ohio became sort of the community that I needed to really flourish with art. Um, and I think that's because there is not an expectation. So you go to Nashville or you go to New York or you go to some of these bigger meccas of art and music where it's just this is what's expected of you and this is how you should position yourself and present yourself. And in Northeast Ohio, it's 
Rust Belt, it's, it's Midwestern, you are who you are. And to really embrace that artistically is, I think, what makes some of the music that comes out of Northeast Ohio in particular really amazing. You can really explore your own voice, and that's something that you might not get somewhere else. So to me, that's, that's why Ohio, in particular Northeast Ohio, will always be very special to me. Are there people who kind of serve as connectors? You know, I mean, one, one thing that's interesting about, I guess, um, you know, Buffy was walking around with Joni Mitchell's cassette and playing it for people and trying to lift up this other artist. Um, yeah. Has that kind of experience been part of your life where you're connecting with younger artists or older artists are connecting with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been really fortunate to be around especially older musicians that have sort of uh, taken me under their wing. You know, I've in ways that I didn't think that I, I, you know, I think that when you're an artist too, uh, or you're presenting your own song, you don't know how it's going to be received. Um, and it's not that that matters, but to be acknowledged by another songwriter, for instance, um, is something that's really important for when you're deciding to pursue it, to, to continue. Um, so for instance, you know, I, uh, I've had multiple people in this area um, uplift me, like Brent Kirby with, you know, the 10 by 3 and giving, you know, open mics up here. Yeah, exactly, for Brent Kirby. (laughs) Um, But there are so many more that I could name. And I will say, too, even just from a broader perspective, uh, older musicians, you know, that are more entrenched in sort of the music industry have been very helpful in a way that I didn't expect them to be. So Bill Payne from Little Feet was uh, invited me up to sing with him and and play some songs with him um, only after hearing a couple songs of mine. And I think that that takes a lot of salt to do as somebody that's really entrenched in their own career and their own uh, journey. So that's something that is very important though and I think it's something that's taught me as an artist how important it is to uplift other artists so you know I started an open mic in Akron uh, because I wanted you know I I started that with my my roommate at the time Jose because I wanted to give back to people that were just starting out and to give them that confidence boost and so give them a space where they could play and be listened to and then encouraged with like very specific you know, feedback. Like, I really liked that first line, you know, that was a really good hook or whatever it was, because those things do matter in the long run. So, you know, it was, it was a real pleasure to kind of delve into some of the stuff written about Buffy St. Marie and, and some other things and getting to this. And so one of my favorite quotes that I got from Andrew Werner's authorized biography with the forward by Joni Mitchell of, of Buffy St. Marie is, um, it has to do with Sesame Street, uh, but it's mm-hmm. also pretty deep. Uh, so she's talking about being an activist, and one of her things is for being effective for her means reflecting the light and not blocking it. Mm. Uh, and that's sort of about activism and ego and kind of her own her own style of being in the world in this in this way that's um, very, you know, very compelling in some ways. But one sh- thing she says about having uh, about a, a need to continually teach people. Uh, and just there's always like this starting over with a lot of these projects. And so there's always a new generation needing the basics, like Sesame Street. Um, and so she, she's kind of reflecting on her own experience on the street and also how there's always a, a kind of beginning for some people. So, yeah, I guess with that, I think I'm curious to say how has maybe have younger musicians been part of your life um, mm-hmm. or... 
what's up with Sesame Street and how was that formative to you? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's some of the younger musicians that I've seen, um, you know, that are a little younger than me that are coming up through that open mic, through um, other experiences where I've been a part of a bill and, and there's a younger band or some of these younger artists. I think what's interesting to me is like seeing, I, I am somewhat a part of that same generation. However, people that are younger always have a fresh perspective and they also have, I, I think as you get older, as an artist, you have to sort of shed, like Buffy's saying, like you almost have to like shed skin. You have to like start over constantly because you can get really hardened. You can get cold, you can get sort of stuck in your ways, whatever it might be. So you being around younger musicians or younger artists and remembering not only that you're setting an example, but also that you can learn from them and it's symbiotic is really important. So I try to take that into every situation. You know, there's, I think especially in the music industry, there's a tendency for older people to actually be threatened by younger musicians because it's, we're told that it's a young person's game, right? And if you can actually switch that viewpoint and say, how can I, you know, help positively influence this person while they also teach me how to let go of my own whatever baggage I've taken into this next chapter, so that would be my ex my main experiences. I try to do that with everything. And with Sesame Street, I grew up with PBS um, and all things, you know, public TV, public stations. Sesame Street was really, it was, you know, it was of course on in my house. Um, I remember I didn't like Elmo because my sister had a stuffed Elmo that would talk and occasionally it would talk when nobody was around it. <laughs> so that was very creepy to me. <laughs> so I decided based on that alone that I would, my favorite Muppet was Grover. Cause he wasn't in all of them and he didn't talk all the time. And so when he did talk, it was very like, oh, Grover's there. Right, like you know? Sort of has like sort of self-confidence issues. And right. yeah, Buffy yeah. likes him for that same reason. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, you were, I was asking you a similar question earlier and you're just kind of like, yeah, like the Muppets, they're just like, a really good group. They are a good you know, group. Like in terms of the, like some of the, one of the best groups of all time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, they make some killer music it's too. So really let's good. be honest. Let's be, let's be real <laughs> for a minute here. We'll talk. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think one thing that's, uh, has maybe shifted a little bit is the pressure, uh, of, of the internet of technology and, and these things. And maybe that's, uh, something that is not going to impact someone with an acoustic guitar, and maybe it is, but I mean, I think looking, if we, I was kind of tracking the discography of Buffy St. Marie and mm -hmm. Illuminations in the late 60s is like this really comp, like electronic music kind of thing. She's doing mm -hmm. sampling in the 70s. Arguably, she's the first person to create an album using the internet in mm -hmm. the early 90s. You know, there's all these ways in which she's, as Ann Power says, more Bjork and Kate Bush than Joan Baez. You know, mm -hmm. that she's really like in, invested in these really taking on new technological ideas and things like that. And yeah. so, yeah, I guess, uh, do you have any thoughts on how technology is shaping the world you're in and how you relate mm -hmm. to it as an artist? Yeah, I think well, like Buffy, too, and, and other um, some other artists like her that aren't afraid to try something new. I think that that's something that I try to, I try to keep in mind. So even like when I collaborate with other people, like this doesn't have to sound like me, this can sound totally different because it's not, I'm not a purist. Um, I think, you know, obviously I, 
I have a specific style with acoustic guitar and my voice is generally pretty soft, so I can only do so many things. However, technology, I've learned to like embrace it instead of push it away. You know, I'm, I'm not as, I will say for my own mental health, I have to separate myself from social media sometimes because it's just, there's too much stimulation. But, and, and also it becomes sort of a sounding board and, and there's a lot of comparison that goes into that. Um, technology is like a double-edged sword. We can connect with each other, but we can also really damage each other. But when it comes to art, I think that technology has been helpful in a lot of ways, other than Spotify, I digress. Um, <laughs> but, but in other ways, it's been really helpful because it's forced artists to sort of get recreative. So they have to like reinvent themselves and find new ways to sort of advance what they were already working on and experiment. Yeah, so with that, I'll check my high-tech uh, timer yeah. here. And, okay, so I think we'll, we'll have to close up in a, in a second here. But um, So we're at a 110-year-old community music school right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the powerful, and we're celebrating community and art. Um, and, you know, one, one thing that, that music for me, you know, I came up as a music school settlement kid. Uh, mm -hmm. and it was very important to me to like learn to be a person through this. And so I just want to give one quote from Buffy St. Marie where she says like, you know, I'm in love with the world. It's a little dorky. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I guess, that. could you say, and some of her favorite artists are Edith Piaf, Carmen Amaya, mm -hmm. um, some of the ind indigenous drumming um, traditions that she sampled and, mm -hmm. and worked with across a, a variety of different groups. Um, could you just say a little bit about something you love in music? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I, I just love that music can transport you. So um, for me as a kid, I think, you know, not to go into detail, but for me, it was really important. Um, read, For instance, reading and music were the things that I used not to escape my life, but to sort of recreate it. So I could I could transport myself and be myself in a different setting. And that was very, I think that that's something that when you're in your formative years, it's really important. And I really held on to those artists when I was growing up that were good at transporting you. So, you know, I actually didn't really get into more traditional folk music until later. Um, earlier, it was it was weird stuff like you said, Kate Bush and Tori Amos. Um, I was very into I love Fiona Apple, too, but I was very into a lot of the 90s women. Um, but I, I think my favorite was Tori Amos growing up. I would just put her on repeat and I would write short stories while I was listening to her because she could literally transport me into like another realm. And that was sort of her thing. And yeah, I, I totally relate to that quote by Buffy. It is dorky. The world is dorky. And if you can't put that into art and embrace that about music and art and also use it to embrace your own inner dork, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah being a dork's totally the way to be. So, but, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, when she was growing up, she, she talked about going ice skating and in her head, she'd have Tchaikovsky playing while she was ice skating on a lake. And mm -hmm. it was like a, the way Andrea Warner puts it is like, it was a more nuanced architecture than the world she lived in. And right. I was like, oh, that's a, that's good way that's to put it. Beautiful. Nice writing there. Um, and then she also talks about listening to Maybelline in her head mm -hmm. as like a little kid out on the ice skating on mm -hmm. the pond. Um, yeah, I see. I relate to that too because I think I think you're told even I was still be very imaginative even when I was mm -hmm. a teenager, and I think that having an early introduction and 
uh, falling in love with music and art early was really important for that. It's made me a more imaginative person even now. Sometimes I imagine scenarios that aren't real. <laughs> but most of the time it's very beneficial because I'm sitting there thinking of how could I do this better? Or, oh my gosh, can you imagine a world that looked like this instead of this? And I think that that's, I think that people that can grab onto that early, I think it's in all of us. It's uh, even more important because it's harder to reintroduce yourself to that later. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again, everybody. been listening to Lift Their Voices, a podcast series presented by Roots of American Music in partnership with Evergreen Podcasts. To learn more about Roots of American Music and support our work, please visit rootsofamericanmusic.org. Thanks to our featured artist, Gretchen Plus. To learn more about Gretchen and listen to her music, visit gretchenplus.com. That's plus, P-L-E-U-S-S dot com. Special thanks to Ohio Arts Council and Cuyahoga County Arts and Culture for their continued support. Today's episode was produced by Morgan McCaskey. It was recorded by Morgan McCaskey and Brian Kennard. Post-production engineering by Dave Douglas. Contains original music by Gretchen Plus. I'm your host, George Blake. Thank you for listening. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.